I'm Al Philreis, and this is Poem Talk at the Writer's House, where I have the pleasure of convening three friends in the world of contemporary poetry and poetics to collaborate on a close but not too close reading of a poem. We'll talk, maybe even disagree a bit, and perhaps open up the verse to a few new possibilities, and we hope gain for a poem that interests us, some new readers and listeners. And I say listeners, because Poem Talk poems are available in recordings made by the poets themselves as part of our Penn Sound archive writing dot upen, U-P-E-N-N dot E-D-U slash Penn Sound. Today, I'm in Philadelphia, a few blocks from the aforementioned Kelly Writer's House, joined here through the quasi-magic of Zoom by Bonnie Finberg, recipient of the 2014 Kathy Acker Award for Fiction, whose poetry, photographs, and fiction have been published and translated internationally and have been included in various gallery exhibitions, whose books include a novel, Callie's Day, a short story collection, How the Discovery of Sugar Produced the Romantic Era, Deja Vu, including poetry and digital collages, and Sitting Book, whose work can be found in Ragged Lion Press, Big Bridge, Sensitive Skin, Thrice Fiction, KGB, Literary Journal, Evergreen Review, Brooklyn Rail, and many other places, and who is currently working on her second novel. And by Julian Poirier, poet and longtime Bay Area resident, who's author of Stained Glass Windows of California, Way to West, T-O-O, Out of Print, and other books who in 2005 published an experimental newspaper novel, Living, Go and Dream, Ugly Duckling, whose poetry album, Higher in Canada, appeared on SoundCloud in 2016 and presumably is still there, a founding member of the Brooklyn-based nonprofit Ugly Duckling Press Collective and co-editor of one of my favorite books, Frank Lima's Incidents of Travel in Poetry, New and Selected Poems, a book that was turned on to me by the next guest, Jake Barmer. Remember that, Jake? We, we talked about Frank once in Palo Alto. And I, yes, yeah, it was so much fun. Jake Marmer himself, poet, performer, educator, whose ecstatic interstellar collaboration with the great John Schott on guitar and Joshua Horowitz keyboard has produced a new album of poetry, Klez Jazz Avant Experiments record that is called Purple Tentacles of Thought and Desire, whose previous books of poems include Jazz Talmud, and whose previous recordings include a CD that I have on repeat here at my house in Philadelphia, Hermeneutic Stomp, try that on repeat, and whose new, 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 brand new book as of this recording is Cosmic Diaspora, published by Station Hill Press. Jake Marmer, thank you, hello, thank you for doing this. Thanks, Al. It's good to see you, as always. Uh, and Bonnie, hello. Welcome to Poem Talk. Hi, hi. It's just, just great to see you. And you're joining us from New York? Yes, I am. Fantastic. In the thick of it. In the thick of it, exactly. And Julian, welcome, welcome. You're, you're in Oakland, I think, yes? I'm actually in Berkeley, Al. Um, Berkeley. Yeah, my hometown of Berkeley. Um, moved back here after being in New York for a long time. And uh, it's great to see all of you. And thanks for having me on the show. Oh, a pleasure. And this is going to be so much fun. The four of us have gathered here today to talk about a poem by the late and much missed Steve Dalachinsky. The poem is called With Shelter Gone. And our recording is clipped from a YouTube video that recorded a reading that seems to have been taken, taken place in 2008. So here now is Steve Dalachinsky performing With Shelter Gone. Mm -hmm. 
this is a, about uh, displacement, which most of us were through our history. Um, See one more. One more? Yeah. Oh shit! I can't have two more, Jake. <laughs> I'm old. Remember that. <laughs> this is called. <laughs> hey, you're gonna get old too. With <laughs> this is called with shelter gone. Fruit flies seem to be coming out of my body, out of my very skin. Ripening banana, squeezed orange, damn fruit flies leaving my chest through my nipples into every room I enter, around the sink. I give them purpose, create a purpose, they acquire purpose. Alphabet without knowledge of itself, numbers without sequence, mind too scattered to give meaning to. Seventh and K, where I grew up, lava to adult, among Jews, among Italians, among Jews, among letters, numbers, on my road through the decades, past Avenue X onto Stillwell, the hot cyclonic nights, theater of spills, thrills, drugs, bugs, and boils, a movie wherein you are what you are watching and always moving. Brooding on the boardwalk, a sideshow after years of indecisive behavior, hot dogs and fries, these damn fruit flies gnawing at my six-pointed innards, my Jewish chakras. Over-ripened beads of light seeping through the skin from deep, deep down in the soul, winding toward the shorefront of my earth, past the Volna Cafe, the Tatiana Cafe, and the Moscow Cafe, winding through the winter of my birth, the every summer of my life, winding back, winding back, winding back, and winding up through the blood and the piss and the shit, winding back, winding back, winding back and winding up again and again and again and again damn fruit flies in my kishkas out my chakras to my eyes damn kishkas damn fruit flies sweet eyes thank you oh Julian what is it like to hear Steve's voice like hanging out with him yeah yeah just direct transportation to the living soul of uh of my friend uh, almost almost literally you know yeah. um so that's what it's like for me bonnie uh the poem is partly about uh brooklyn growing up in brooklyn yes, yes. he uh he was born in midwood and seventh and k is right around there so it's you know pretty accurate and then there's reference to the Russian sections, Brighton Beach, Sheepshead Bay, and of course the Coney Island. So, but that voice, to pick up on what Julian was saying, that voice is really more Brooklyn here than almost any other recording I've heard. Can you talk about that voice and the accent and the New Yorkishness of the whole thing? Well, yeah, I mean, we shared that Jewish Brooklyn thing. We both grew up in Brooklyn. We both wanted to get the fuck out. Um, sorry, we both wanted to get the hell out. <laughs> Now, this is a family show, but it's also uh, uncontrolled by any federal entity because it's a podcast. Edit that. Edit that. So you're good? No, we won't edit it. We want to hear it. If you, oh. if you feel like the F-bomb is appropriate to Steve, go ahead and add it. Yeah, I mean, we both shared that kind of, you know, growing up in Brooklyn, you know, in Jewish Brooklyn, because I grew up in Borough Park, and it was this kind of feeling of being an outsider. Um, and then emigrating to Manhattan and finding our people. And we found each other, actually, when I lived in Soho, 
that's how I met him because he had his outdoor, you know, uh, flea market thing going there mm. with uh, yeah. his books and his tapes and his records. And that, that voice that he has is, it's kind of like, you know, being around Steve for me was like being home, no matter where it was, because we spent a lot of time together in Paris, you know, him and Hugo and I, because I lived there for seven years and they would come and wherever he was, that voice just, even though I hated Brooklyn, it w there was something about that that was very familiar and I just felt very simpatico with it. And it was more than just a voice, it was a sensibility, you know. Okay. Um, I think some listeners to this podcast, let's just say are either not familiar enough with New York or just old enough to think about what Bonnie was talking about, which is the big move, the big walk, the big crossing over from Brooklyn to Manhattan, to lower Manhattan, where the art would be. Uh, nowadays, you know, you go back and forth between Brooklyn and lower Manhattan, or pretty much anywhere, upper Manhattan, and you're gonna find the art scenes, uh, maybe even more, more in Brooklyn than elsewhere. But, but Bunny's right, this is a poem partly about being in Brooklyn and being, in a way, having to grow up in a place that's not art, shall we just say. So would you comment on that and then Somehow, Jake, tie it up to this whole thing at the end of the poem about winding back, winding back. It seems almost that he's decided to um, roll the tape back and go back as far as he can uh, to the early memories. Go ahead, Jake. See what you can do with all that. I mean, certainly he's, he's winding back. Um, what it is that he's winding back to um, is an interesting question. I hope we'll, we'll, we'll wind back to that a few times because I think it's, it means a number of things here. Um, and, and not just Brooklyn. Um, I, I think there's um, like a reference maybe to the poem itself uh, too. Um, but he is um, kind of uncovering, uncovering memories uh, and he's riffing on a, on a very odd combination of something that's, you know, visceral. Um, and, you know, when people talk about poems being visceral, like this is visceral, he's talking about kishkas, like, which in Yiddish means like guts, literally, he is dealing with some like hardcore visceral stuff. And this, it feels like this is where he's going. He's going inward into his, um, into his viscera, into his kishkas, and finding um, the kind of things that you would find in those places and unearthing them and and that too becomes part of the poem and when julian says like oh this this sounds like steve talking uh i, I absolutely i i uh, i totally resonate and 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 this uh, with that i i this combination of something that's that's kind of like intense and 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 a little weird and maybe a little not uh, appropriate for the um a, a certain kind of an art scene, um, but with with Steve, it comes it, it comes out, um, and 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 it it is tied to like a, a profound existential commentary. Julian, it's time, perfect time now then to bring in this thing about the fruit flies, because the the opening of the poem suggests that here this speaker is thinking, well, I'm rotting, you know, I'm like an old piece of fruit in a hot kitchen. Um, I don't want to push this and say it's some kind of pre-elegy, but it, it, there's, a, there's a rottingness about it that may be related to the detritus and the kishkas and all that stuff. So help us with that, Julian, the fruit fly stuff, because they keep coming back. Yeah, well, when I see that, I, it, it's hard for me, again, not just to see Steve in his apartment <laughs> in the middle of the summer, you know, 
where this, this poem might have actually happened and where he's, he's at first responding to the actual moment he's in, you know, feeling like a rotten piece of fruit, you know, and, and probably even fruit flies really zooming around his head inside that apartment, right? <laughs> and what it, it does is it then sparks this connection, maybe even to a, a literal, like exact Brooklyn afternoon, you know, or some sort of memory stew of those, of those things. He's back there. And then his poem takes, it's a voyage through that where I feel like Steve is spontaneously bringing up what arises and anchoring himself with the repetition, which he really learned through free jazz and that repetition of music going far out with the images, but continuing to ground himself with the, the repetition, bringing it back. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's how I see it is that he's coming from, and also from knowing Steve, this seems likely to me that he's coming from a moment like an actual moment, a physical moment that he's in, and then sort of adding that hot water to the tea leaves, you know, and, and steam, and that's sort of blooming for us in the poem. You know? Yeah. Bonnie, uh, this is such a good segue, uh, or that is to say, uh, uh, Julian's comment is such a good segue to this really important line, which starts to seem that it's about the poem. I give them purpose. So you get a lot of fruit flies, and then, and then I, presumably I making this poem, I give them purpose. I create a purpose. And then there's a reference to alphabet without knowledge, which is very complicated. Um, but let's start with I give them purpose. Is it, is it, as I'm implying, a kind of metapoetic moment where he's talking about how this poem, which can be about fruit flies, is going to create something out of them? And what is, what is he doing with that turn, do you think? Um, it's, it's difficult. It was a difficult section for me to kind of parse, but I, I feel just in general, and maybe that, that's part of it, that this poem for him was a way to kind of reconcile, um, let's see, it was 2007. I'm not sure when he got his diagnosis, you know, the first cancer. Um, I think before that, it was very much about his mental state and, and his, his history, you know, with his parents having him committed and stuff. And then at a certain point when he got diagnosed, he became very concerned with bodily things. And this is, I think this poem is a perfect example of, of the combination, how those two things just kind of multi, they're like sort of a multi-layered state of things for him that was always present. And um, I like what Julian said about uh, the kind of spontaneity and his influence of free jazz and, and also Creeley and, and Kerouac, you know, who, who were very much like situated in the moment and, um, you know, almost in a William James kind of way, the way he wrote about his own self-perceptions, mm -hmm. um, he managed to skirt the cliche of kind of solipsistic, you know, self-referential right. kind of right. confessional right. poetry. Right. He had a sort of ironic humor about himself, and he would just kind of diverge like you're on some ride, and it would just take this unexpected turn, you know. Yeah. So he, he never fell into that. But... Um, and I think for him, maybe what he's saying in that is that all of this somehow combined, you know, he was very concerned about his mortality at all times. And this was, you know, his poetry was, was his leg legacy. And um, I think it's true. I think that he was seeing this as some way to kind of rise above his mortality with this yeah. that he created, you know. 
Jake and Julian, I want to ask you both this next question. It, uh, Bonnie said that we feel while, while we're reading this poem that we're going on a ride. I think that's totally true about the way it gets constructed and, and presented. And then, we, and then we remember the rides of Coney Island. So we do go on a ride. In fact, this is where the language becomes memory. Uh, spills thrills is part of the Coney Island advertising rhetoric. Spills and thrills. Uh, there's a reference to the cyclone the famous ride, which he refers to as hot cyclonic streets. Um, so Jake and Julian, what, what do we do with that section? Uh, larva to adult, very funny line. He's remembering growing up in Brooklyn. And now X into, uh, onto Stillwell in Brooklyn and then Coney Island. And there's a whole section and there's even quotes. You're my Coney Island baby and so forth. What do you do with that, Jake? Oh, there's just so much to do. I, I mean, like, here's an example of, uh, of a transition of the sort that, that you're talking about. Like, larva to adult, among Jews, among Italians, among Jews, among letters. That's how he's reading it, right? So you're going, on, on the one hand, you're juxtaposing ethnicities, and then suddenly he's just juxtaposing Jews and letters and numbers. And, and this is the kind of like a roller coaster esque transition that you're talking about on the on the one hand um you know that there's kind of like an identity a certain kind of brooklyn identity he often talked about um friends of italian heritage that he has grown up with and um stuff that he had absorbed from there and then all of a sudden there's like it gets kind of almost mystical like jews and letters and 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 numbers you kind of like like a throwaway allusion to something that's that's kind of sounds Kabbalistic I, I don't, to Kabbalistic me I, for sure Kabbalistic for sure um, that's alphabet without knowledge that is alphabet prior to knowledge and also yeah. also doing seventh and K that's a that's a number and a letter I mean he's really working this case this is not a random poem Julian do you want to pick up the Coney Island stuff yeah I do actually it's one of my favorite parts of uh of New York actually out there. Um, so on one hand, I'm, I'm just along for the ride when he's, he's doing that. He's giving us all this kind of flashing imagery, kind of a cyclone ride of imagery. I feel like he gets himself there by doing a very characteristic thing for Steve here where he says, he says, I give them purpose. And he sort of walks that back, create a purpose. Then he says they acquire purpose. Mm. So we sort of, you know, he's not saying, I'm giving the purpose here. I'm the poet. You know, he is saying these things take on a purpose. They take on a life of their own. Mm -hmm. And then he into this incredible, this real spill of imagery. And yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of playing back and forth with the letters and the numbers, which are, again, the streets of Brooklyn already have this kind of like Kabbalah sort of. <laughs> he unpack for us right in front of us, you know? So he's doing that, playing with it. And I think, again, really crucially, keeping it really grounded in the viscera, keeping it grounded in sweat and uh, the drugs, the boils, the bugs, all of that stuff. You know, never getting far from that. Mm. Uh, let's, thank you. Let's go back to winding back. Um, Bonnie, why don't you begin with this? What, there's a lot of winding back, but it, it, it really doesn't get going. The wind, it doesn't wind up until the end. What do you think he's doing with that? that section um what's the winding mean and why go back well he was he was constantly referencing 
his past in Brooklyn and, you know, his, his issues with, you know, being in the institution and his drug, his drug history and all of that. And it was kind of a meme for him in a lot of ways. He always sort of went back to that. And it, it sort of balanced what he was doing with how he was in the moment, I think. It was always there. It was always in the moment. Those things never really left him. So, I mean, for him, winding back wasn't, he, he didn't have to go very far. It, was, it really lived in the moment for him, I think. Mm-hmm. Jake, uh, in the intro, before he reads the poem, he, he talks to the audience and refers to someone named Jake. <laughs> that was you. It was. You, it was. Were you yeah. hosting or you were just there? Uh, I was hosting a gig. It was a Bowery Poetry It was uh, at the Bowery Poetry gig. Club, yeah. Um, and... Uh, uh, he said something that I barely picked up, something about this, this poem's about displacement? Uh, no, that was about the next poem, another poem he was going to read, but I was reminding him that he was, uh, you know, just reaching the, the time limit of, of the gig, and he was just, if you keep listening, he, uh, later he starts uh, kind of like pushing on it, and he's like, you want to kick me off? Go ahead, kick me <laughs> off. I'm old, like, come on. I want to <laughs> give some more. And of course, uh, he was loving how much it was a, a younger uh, audience. Um, and uh, they were just like loving him in the moment. Um, and, and, um, and, and he was feeding off of it. He wanted, he wanted to keep going. Well, I, 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 uh, I want each of the three of you, please, to comment on the title. When I heard him re- refer to what is apparently another poem about displacement, I began thinking about what it means to title this poem with shelter gone because mm. the poem is in, it's in a, it's in an apartment. Uh, and it goes, then it goes out into his old stomping grounds. But I just, I just want to understand I'm, I'm moved by the title without understanding it. So Jake first, then Julian and Bonnie, what do you, what do we do with this title? Yeah. Okay. That's, that's cool. That's a, it's kind of a, a hard question, I think, with shelter, with shelter gone. I mean, you would think it's like uh, the unveiling of, of those fruit flies, um, like the fruit flies are no longer sheltered. And um, uh, I, I like what, uh, what Julian was saying about like the picturing this, the hot New York afternoon like he's you know schwitzing and and there's even even a reference to over ripened beads of light like this is how he's describing sweat like almost like transcendent schwitzing of and on a new york afternoon and like the 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 fruit flies unsheltered and then just a certain unveiling of the self uh of 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 difficulties and traumas that um that are that are also um uh are are out there and 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 you can't quite uh, shelter them anymore and, and bonnie who uh, knew steve uh you know so well uh, i i think um and and has knows far more than i do uh, the the sort of uh, difficulties that he had lived through uh that, that you uh, briefly referred to i i think um i think this is this is the stuff that he is kind of uh, starting to show a little bit and and those uh, who know um who knew more of steve know what these are references to and others who don't uh, also are getting a sense and and uh, and and are kind of getting a sense of what's what's being unsheltered here mm-hmm. So, uh, Julian, Jake, I think, appropriately took 
fairly metaphorical approach to the idea of shelter. Uh, what, what's your take on that? Well, it's also very metaphorical and it connects to what Bonnie was saying to what both Bonnie and Jake are saying. You know, I think that once this poem lit up in Steve's mind, it, it becomes a poem about death, but it's also a poem about before birth. You know, if you go, I think when he's winding back and he gets to that line through the blood and the piss and the shit, he's back now before birth. You know, he's gone every summer of my life. So winding through the winter of my birth, the every summer of my life and back, winding back, winding back through the blood and the piss and the shit. And then he winds up again, right? But he goes back to the point before he's born, before he's like identityed as this person. So there's these, there's the nothingness on either side. And that's what I think when he's saying shelter gone, shelter is this life, right? And under that shelter, there's the fruit flies, there's the guts, there's the, the cyclonic streets and nights and everything, you know? It's funny because he's using it ironically because the shelter is also the thing that's driving him crazy. Yeah. Being in life is the thing that's making him, that's giving him this kind of, you know, the flies and, and the rotting and all of that. That's happening under the shelter of physical life. Mm. Bonnie, what's your thought on all this? Um, yeah, I th- to, to kind of expand on what Julian was saying, I think I, I, there was a sense of vulnerability, you know, in this whole thing of his, just sort of the fragility of being alive and, and you know, uh, I think he felt very vulnerable when he, when he became ill. Um, he was scared. He was scared. And this is, you know, it, it came out in, the, in these extraordinary ways in his work. But I think that, you know, it was just kind of this feeling of like, you know, I'm not just, you know, the shelter of, of my body is, is deteriorating, is, is ill. Mm-hmm. And um, I think, you know, I think it's really about his feeling of vulnerability. Over-ripened beads of light seeping through the skin from deep, deep down in the soul, winding toward the shorefront of my earth, past the Volna Cafe, the Tatiana Cafe, and the Moscow Cafe, winding through the winter of my birth, the every summer of my life, winding back, winding back, winding back, and winding up through the blood and the piss and the shit, winding back, winding back, winding back and winding up again and again and again and again damn fruit flies in my kishkas out my chakras to my eyes damn kishkas damn fruit flies sweet eyes we're winding back and we go to brighton beach and sheepshead bay uh briefly and i take that not to mean anything literal about where steve would go if we wound back but to take that to me that's that's a nod toward the immigrant origins, probably, right? It's a Russian family in part. Yeah, I, I think uh, that's probably the reference. And also it's kind of the end uh, of Brooklyn. Like, it is the end of Brooklyn. <laughs> you know, you're reaching like past the, past the Volna and Tatiana Cafe. It's, it's the ocean. Like th- that's it. And, and, and yeah. maybe that, that it's refer- like winding, winding immigration in reverse, right? That's what, this is what Julian was talking about. Like if we just roll the tape all the way back, we flash through immigration and we flash through origins and we flash through people running from pogroms and that's where it all started. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. What did that make you think, Jake? Uh, the Volna Cafe, the Tatiana Cafe? 
The Moscow Cafe. Well, it, it echoes um, some of the other uh, repetitions that, uh, you know, we talked about, about uh, the, like the, the word purpose, like giving, giving a purpose. And there's, there are the purposes, the three purposes on the three cafes, right? The, the word purpose is repeated three times. And so is, uh, so is the word cafe. Um, and, and, you know, these are, these are a few of uh, his favorite things. I, I, I think uh, half of the time that, you know, we've we've spent together. Uh, me and Steve, we were in, sitting in some cafe, and um, uh, like the, these great joint experiences would happen over meals. So he really liked, um, you know, sitting and eating and philosophizing and talking. This talk uh, that you hear in the poem, um, uh, yeah, that that's what uh, that's what I was I was remembering. A, a great connoisseur of of cafes. <laughs> I love how they appeared, and that's what I thought as well. Um, uh, Julian and Bonnie, either or both of you, uh, after years of indecisive behavior, well, we're moving along, we've got the Coney Island Baby song, we've got the boardwalk, a sideshow, a, a word I underline but don't know why, a sideshow, and then after years of indecisive behavior, hot dogs and fries, and then those damn fruit flies, which rhymes with fries. Uh, Julian, first, what what do we do with that? Is it simply a personal reference that we don't need to get? Uh, was he shy about having a Coney Island baby when he was a young guy? What's, what's he remembering? Um, I love the line. It's one of my favorite moments in this poem when he says, after years of indecisive behavior, um, <laughs> <laughs> like this lightning rod of a line where there's a storm happening all around it. And then it's just like, it's to me, that line is just Steve just, that's him talking again. And just, this is him talking from what I know about his past and all the stuff he did, you know, everything he's gone through that indecision before he really got like really got hooked into what he wanted to do, you mm -hmm. know, which is listening to the music and the poetry um, that, and so he doesn't have to tell us that story. It's hard for me to step back and, you know, to a point where I didn't know Steve. So when I, the years of indecisive behavior, he described those to me in detail so that that line is is very ripe for me, um, but right, I also yes. I do think it it even if you don't know Steve, it kind of it is a sort of grounding line in the poem because it's it's yeah. just I think it's strictly personal, yeah. And just talking about him as a young man. That's you know? what I suspected, Bonnie. Um, the the poem we talked earlier about the Brooklyn Manhattan divide that that is, that is a fairly old concept, but really important at a certain point. I mean, even Walt Whitman dealt with it, right? Um, cross, crossing over to where, you know, he could see people doing things. But, um, you know, what's so great about this poem is that Steve doesn't, it's not an art, it's not a poem of artists or arts. It is not uh, a poem, it, you know, the references to the cafe, but those are, that's where the Russian Jews are hanging out, not, uh, not poets and painters and sculptors. Um, I wonder if you would comment on that. I mean, he is at home in Brooklyn here. And he's not, and he creates a wonderful piece of art, but he's not particularly interested in thinking about art in any kind of overt way. So I wonder what your thoughts are about that and how, how um, well, I, you know, Brooklyn is for him a place of life and of bodiness and not so much of direct philosophy. Well, his art, his life was his art in, in so many ways. Um, he focused, he, he, 
he was completely void of pretension. When you say it's not about art, that's true. Uh, except everything he did, every living, walking moment of his life was art. Mm. So it was really, it's really hard to tease out, you know, what's art and what's not yeah. art. It's, it's Steve. I love that. Thank you. What I'd like to do, and we don't usually do this, I'm going to ask you, we're going to go around the horn three times. The first, but quickly, quickly. The first one is, um, would you, can you extract from this poem a generalization about what readers who don't know Steve Dalachinsky's work will find in other works? In other words, we know that every poem is atypical to some degree. This is a unique poem, a particularly good one, but, and, and good to talk about. But what would you say one can get from this poem? What, what in this poem points to a general uh, point that you can make about Steve's work, starting with Jake? Oh my God, so many uh, points. Just one? Yeah, I, just one. <laughs> um, okay, well, um, maybe back to your uh, question about you know, people who know Steve, people who didn't know, obviously the three of us um, knew him. Um, but I, what, what I was surprised to find after his passing um, is just how many people knew him and how many people, like, uh, it, it, was, it was such an incredible outpouring of, um, of thoughts, of um, emotions, of, of, of writing. Um, so many, many people. And I don't know, I, I'm hearing his voice loud and clear, but I'm also hearing um, all these other people and all these other references, like those Russian cafes are in there because he would go in and talk to anybody. And, and people would, from across the board, people who were not artists would would be interested in talking to him and he would just have these like random conversations with strangers and, and rant and people would love him for those, for those rants, even if he was uh, difficult and angry sometimes and, and uh, grumpy and, and, uh, you know, Bunny mentioned the things, some of the things that irritated him. There were many other things that irritated him, but this, um, this like complete engagement and willingness to engage and voices of those who were engaged with him. I think uh, in this poem, and I, and I think you'll find it in, in many, many other poems and the pleasure of, of, of talking uh, to, to, these, to these various people, friends and strangers. Very good, thank you, Jake. Julian, want to take a crack at that? Yeah, so I feel like it's, this poem is this, um, it's actually really representative of his stuff. I think any poem he writes is going to be because he has this, he had this knack for letting a poem take over. Once he was in the poem, once it started happening that he and the poem were sort of merging, he would let the poem take over and start, and he would run with that, he'd shape it. He wasn't, it's not to say that he just like let it, there's automatic writing or anything. He had really pretty strict sensibilities of what he wanted in the poem. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it, if you go into the poem and you start looking at it closely, you realize how well made it is really like it's, it's made to really channel water from like top to bottom, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. but you find that, I think that that his, his letting go and at the same time being like super present is a characteristic that you find in this poem. So you enter this poem, you're in his landscape and you know, you know, you don't know what you're going to find, but you can sort of see the horizon and you, you want to head there, you know? Great. Bonnie, mm -hmm. your take on that? What, what about this poem points us to his work in general? Um, there's this kind of conflicting thing that Steve had, this contradictory thing about 
he was he was you know a terrible complainer he always wondered what was on your plate no matter what he ordered or what you ordered it was always he always wanted the thing on the other side of the room or whatever and he never felt like he was getting enough attention and yet he got all more attention than anybody in the world that i can think of <laughs> and at the same time there's this this complaining at, uh, aspect to this but there's also this this incredible love um that comes through i mean when he talks about brooklyn it was almost like a love-hate relationship because i mean he talks about it uh you know Stillwell, the, the hot dogs and fries, you know, and, and the Coney Island baby thing, you know, he loved, loved Motown, Motown, which was very much a part of growing up in that era, you know, being a teenager in Brooklyn, then there were people on the corners singing that stuff. And um, so the, I think this poem really encompasses both of those things, his incredible um, irritation, you know, fruit flies are very irritating. Oh, yeah. Actually, they kind of symbolize the devil in a way. <laughs> and um, at the same time, this incredible connection to everything around him with this sort of joy for life. Mm. Why I think he, he feared his mortality so much, because he really, he didn't, he wanted to be here for everything. He never wanted to miss anything. Yeah. Dying, you know, you miss it all. It's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, Jake, the second, our second go around, now we're going to have to be even faster. This time, uh, f because I think a lot of people listening to this are going to be hearing about Steve Dalachinsky, not for the first time, but maybe, or certainly there's a lot of people who are going to think, wow, that's a, that's a poet I don't know enough about. I should check it out. So you, your job, the three of you, is to say something about why this is important, why Steve Dalachinsky's work is important. I don't mean important in some sense of some ultra canon, but I mean, why we be less as a poetry community, for one thing, without it? To me, um, well, again, many, many reasons, but uh, his relationship with jazz and, and the music world is, I think, uh, is incredible. And uh, I met him personally for the first time at a reading that he was doing with Amiri Baraka at the Stone. And uh, Baraka had the first set and, and then Steve and I, I came for Baraka and then we met and uh, uh, repeatedly I would go to see him in his collaboration with musicians and he would um, understand music profoundly like really experimental out there music he would uh he would love it he would never miss a gig like uh like bunny saying like like if you run into steve you know you're in the right place this is where good music is happening mm. and and a certain sensibility a certain understanding of how musical thinking unveils and unfolds would be very much part of his poetry and and learning it uh to me was was incredibly um uh, just enriching and educational and uh it it helped me understand something about music it helped me understand something about poetry and also the way that he combined the two in live performance uh was was absolutely uh stunning fantastic julian can you follow that what 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 do people need to know about the importance of this work or what would be missing if we didn't have it well it's work that you only come across every once in a while. And because we've been on earth for a while, we have a lot of this work around, but it's really, the, it's the top. It's like the best kind of work because it's channeling a real person. You know, I mean, there's that love 
that Bonnie mentioned is so deep in the poetry, the enthusiasm and all the griping, everything is in there. You know, there's no kind of like, I'm going to leave that part out or sort of make, there's total candor in the work, you know? So it's as good as anything anyone ever made for that reason. So when you come to it, that full candor, it and you and it, it, it liberates you, you know, it inspires you. And um, so that's what I would say. It's essential for that reason. Thank you. Bonnie, what would you say? Um, there's a lot of, I, I agree with what everyone else said. And, and to just add to it, um, I think for me, this is a good example of how influenced he was by the beats and by uh, free jazz. And he, when you'd hear him read with music, there was nothing like it. I'd, I'd I actually ran a series with people who were reading with music. There was nobody like Steve reading with music. He was, he was an instrument. He became one of the, one of the instruments in the performance. And, you know, he just, uh, he just embodied a kind of combination of language and music in his work. That, that was, I mean, even the kind of, like what Jake said before about the repetition, you know, and sometimes Giorno did that too. But there was something very unique in the way he he delivered his, his it works beautifully on the page, but to hear him read it is mm. always an exciting, mm. an exciting thing. Great, thank you. Okay, for our last go around, it's final words. So this is your chance to say something about this poem that you came here today to say, but it just didn't come up in the conversation so far. It could be a line or a phrase, it could be a an idea or a point. Uh, but just put something in the record that hasn't been said. So, Jake, what do you got? What's your final thought? Uh, well, um, I think um, Steve had a, a very interesting relationship with um, intellectual thought. He was extremely well-read and, and also self-taught. Um, and he was a little bit, I think, um, you know, just self-conscious. I, I, I don't know, did he drop out of high school or college? I, I don't know exactly, like, what, where, where, that the dropping out uh, happened, um, but he he talked about it quite a bit, and I, and you get uh, really I think serious existential philosophical observations that are happening in this poem. But he also um, wanted to dial it back or just like say it in in a in a certain uh, kind of unique, straightforward way that. In, in in the language that he grew up with in the language that made sense to him you are what you are watching uh, right he says and and it's sort of like this some kind of buddhist cone but uh, in in a like gritty crumbly brooklyn uh iteration um that's that's what i i i, I want to say and i i don't know i i also want us to think some more, or, or listeners to think some more, what 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 those fruit flies fruit flies are. Uh, <laughs> I feel like there's a lot more to say there. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Julian. Your final thought. I love uh, I love what Jake just said because it's there's the chakras, you know. There's, there's the Yiddish. There's the the street visions of Brooklyn, you know. There's, I would say that my thought on this poem is I I the first time I read the poem that I know of was, or saw the poem was watching Steve perform it. And then I went and read it and I was like, this is a poem. This is Steve. I, you know, I felt close to it. We've talked about it for a while now. And I feel it's like being led into a garden and you see all these beautiful things. Oh my gosh, all that great stuff is growing. And then someone 
as you zero in and you start looking at the stems and like all the stickiness on the stems and the tiny leaves and the complexity of what's here. And again, I mean, that's not Steve being a watchmaker. That's him being himself, you know, and all of that. So that kind of richness is just, it's in the poem naturally through his, Mm. the voice and him kind of like absorbing this music and it coming out this way. So it, I would just say I'm, I'm amazed by how much I've enjoyed taking a deep dive into the poem. Oh, great. Thank you. Yeah, it does pay off, when, especially when you think, oh, you know, we shouldn't ruin this poem by talking about it too much, but then it can't be, it's not a poem that can be ruined. Bonnie, what's your final thought? Well, you know, one of the things that strikes me is that, you know, maybe because I was watching the video again today before this to sort of refresh my memory and, I forget which one there was where he referred to himself as a humorously as a self-hating Jew. And um, it's kind of ironic because he, he referenced it so much as he does in this poem. And I think he actually loved being a Jew and he, he, he got so much of his material from that. Mm. And um, I'm also one of the things that, that we haven't addressed about the numbers thing. I don't know why, but it, Numbers without sequence, it just made me think of tattoos on, you know, because I grew up in Brooklyn also, and there were people who had numbers tattooed on their arms. And pretty much anyone who grew up in the 50s in Brooklyn had access to seeing that as a kid. And it it was a very searing memory. And I I wonder if that was part of that reference there. Yeah, I think it is. Uh, I want to take a chance for a final word. It's actually kind of two rolled into one. Um, Steve Dalczynski was influenced by a lot of different kind of writers, but they kind of add up. Um, Blake, you've got the visionary quality to it, certainly. Kafka, there you've got that kind of Jewish absurdism uh, and, the, and the bugs, <laughs> for sure, right? Uh, Camus uh, was an influence on him, and so there's a certain amount of uh, more, more absurdism. Ferlinghetti's Coney. Ferlinghetti was an influence, uh, the, the, especially the shticky, the shticky Ferlinghetti. Mm-hmm. But uh, Coney Island of the Mind is kind of in here mm-hmm. somewhere. I think this is better than Coney Island of the Mind. And and then Ginsburg with his awareness of uh, the uh, also the absurdity of Jewish tragedy. So the second part of my final word has to do with that stanza that Bonnie was talking about first of uh, first of all the way it ends is i want to say modernist it ends with the word two and then you get a stanza break and now we go back to birth we go back to the home it's alphabet without knowledge of itself numbers without sequence mind too scattered to give meaning to and then mm-hmm. of course he gives meaning even though he set it up by saying his He's too scattered. He's thinking about too many things at once on this hot damn day with the damn flies. And, but yeah, he turns it around and winds up giving meaning to stanza break. And now we start the story of his life. I do think there is a Jewish mysticism in there. Maybe there's a reference to Holocaust survivors in Brooklyn, but there's, there's some, the alphabet without knowledge is a, uh, pre-conscious organization. And that's what this, that's the sort of structural idea of this poem. Mm. And that he could put into a poem that's so earthy and so bodily, something so mystical and theoretical is just kind of a genius move. 
Well, we like to end Poem Talk with a minute or two of Gathering Paradise, which is a chance for, for us to spread wide our narrow hands to gather a little something really poetically good to hail or commend someone or something going on in the poetry world or the art world. Who wants to start? Who's got some, something they want to recommend? Jake, you want to go first? Uh, sure. Um, I, since we've been talking about Steve, I, I, I want to just mention two of his books uh, that, um, you know, uh, people who maybe are, are just hearing uh, about his work for the first time and they want to know where to start, where to go. Uh, you know, uh, but there's the one that um, people know about called The Final Night from Ugly Duckling Press and Julian uh, probably had something to do with that book. Uh, with publication of that of that book, a great great book, the one that he uh, received a prize to, um, and an incredible work where he would most of the poems he wrote by listening to specific musician night after night. He would go hear Charles Gale and and transcribe these incredible uh, poems. But but uh, another book also that is lesser known, but I I just I absolutely love it. It's called The Superintendent's Eyes. He worked as a superintendent in the in a building, um, and uh, apparently he was not a very good superintendent as some poems attest to um and it's just some like found poetry of like the hate note that somebody wrote to him and and just commentary and it's it's an absolutely stunning book i um i i love it so much and and i i, I would i would recommend uh that one that one as well or those I, don't three enough, I don't think he wrote enough prose i love that book so much and i always told him you should do more prose mm. i love that book yeah. great recommendation uh, Bonnie, do you want to uh, gather some paradise? Well, speaking of paradise, I'm reading this book on Halaj, who's a Sufi poet martyr who was killed for his rebelliousness. So maybe it's it's fitting that we're doing this while we're talking about Steve. Um, it's it, it it came out of something that I'm I'm writing uh, where I, I was referencing something uh, Sufi, and. Um, for me, it's just, it's something I just discovered. I don't know, has anyone else heard of this guy? But it's an, it's an amazing discovery. He, he's really quite great. Can you say the name, the title again of the book? The name of it is um, Halaj, Poems of a Sufi Master. Fantastic. And uh, it's, it's very much, gra- it's very grounded, you know, in, in, in a sense. It's not like some highfalutin you know, at the same time, it, it's kind of like most Sufi poetry, which, which sort of, uh, it's embedded in the, in the here and now, even though it's about things, you know, in the, in the larger sphere. Great. Thank you so much, Bonnie. Julian, gather some paradise. Bonnie, I want to know more about that. Maybe we can be in touch about that. that yeah. Poem. Yeah. That yeah. Great. Um, I wanted to mention a book that was, published um, by Ugly Duckling Press earlier this year. I edited the book by the Indian American poet, uh, Ava Kubor. It's called Death Under Construction. And it is a completely fantastic book. I was floored by this. When I say I was edited, I edited it. I didn't really do anything but take the manuscript and just make sure it got published. So, you know, I didn't the, the manuscript was finished when I got it. So I want to say that book continues to blow me away and it just came out a few months ago and also recently published uh, just last year, The Suitcase Tree by Philip Marinovich. Um, completely just 
floored me. I mean, absolutely amazing um, book. No one's writing like that guy right now. So yeah, those are just two things that, that they're by my bed and uh, I've, I've been, been reading. So absolutely. Good recommendations. Thank you. Well, I have a Gathering Paradise. My paradisal pal these days is Jake Marmer, who's published a book called Cosmic Diaspora. Jake, do you have a copy of that book nearby by any chance? Uh, yep, <laughs> I happen to. <laughs> Jake already knows my uh, excitement about a passage in this book, which is a preface to a section called Inscriptions, where he basically creates transcriptions, where he basically creates transcriptions from music for music. So it's very similar to what we've been talking about. And this passage, as you're about to see on page 60, is uh, really totally appropriate and may even describe Steve Dalachinsky's influence on Jake Marmer, very possibly. So because, and for one thing, the memory takes place uh, at the stump. So it's all tying together. Would you read on 60 and 61 paragraphs 1, 2, and five. Mm -hmm. With pleasure. It was one of those late weekend evenings when everybody in New York seemed drunk, probably was. I was at the Stone in the East Village listening to Shanir Blumenkrantz's quartet. The place was full of people, dark and very quiet. Shanir, in the room's tentative center, deemed as the stage, was playing the oud, alone, bending deeply forward towards the score. He played slow, brief, and increasingly articulate phrases, which, intensified by our quiet, instead of disappearing, seemed to hang in the stone's air. Shanir played and stared at the score as if hypnotized by it. Or perhaps, conversely, he was trying to hypnotize the notes on a sheet that shivered on the stand in front of him. Suddenly, a drunken voice hollered something incomprehensible right outside of the door. A jarring interruption of the silence and intensity surrounding the music. Shanir, without taking his eyes off of the score, played a melodic phrase that closely mirrored the holler. It turned into a riff, one of many suspended in the air and sporadically reached for as the improvisation continued to evolve. The anonymous East Village growl was appended to the paper the musician continued to hypnotize. I knew then that no music will move me as much as this kind. Creation may be a mystery, but when it comes to improvisation, you can touch it. You can taste the rawest thought. This method of pointing to music's originary shape-shifting cloud is perhaps what Amir Baraka alluded to when he wrote, thought has a self. That self is music. That's so marvelous. May, may our art, the art that we make and the art that we uh, appreciate and hear and read, uh, allow in the sounds the hollers from the street and be better for it. Uh, certainly that's, that's a message sort of we've been talking about today. Well, that's all the, that's all the damn fruit flies we have time for on Poem Talk today. <laughs> Poem Talk at the Writer's House is a collaboration of the Center for Programs in Contemporary Writing and the Writer's House at the University of Pennsylvania and the Poetry Foundation, poetryfoundation.org. Thanks so much to my guests, Bonnie Finberg, Jake Marmer, and Julian Poirier, and to Poem Talk's director and engineer today, Zach Cardner, and to Poem Talk's editor, the same amazing Zach Cardner. 
And a shout out to Nathan and Elizabeth Light for their very generous support of Home Talk. In our next episode, I will be joined by Christopher Stackhouse, Maria Damon, and Deborah Major, Devorah Major, to talk about Bob Kaufman's poem, Suicide. This is Al Filreis, and I hope you'll join us for that or another episode of Home Talk.